Welcome to Ottawa Valley Community Church, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share His love. Hey, we're just wrapping up a series um, called Rooted, about sort of growing up in our faith and growing deep again. Uh, we came out of the pandemic with uh, a keen awareness that there's uh, something missing in our discipleship, that uh, if the pandemic was able to take us and shift us uh, so much and reorganize the church in such a radical way across the board in our region, across North America, that if, if, if political alignments and a virus you know, we're able to completely restructure the church. That doesn't necessarily sound to me like Jesus restructuring his church, <laughs> right? So, so what does it mean to be a church that Jesus is structuring? What does it mean to be people that he is, uh, is forming and creating and building and to be his, his family? And, and the way he does that, the way he forms us, is through this crazy process called discipleship. And we actually, just to summarize, there's quite a few new folks here. Sorry for the summary for those of you who've been here for every single uh, one of these messages. But, uh, you know, there's, there's something in us that wants discipleship, right? We want the fruit of it. Uh, we want a deeper relationship with Jesus. We want better worship lives. We want more intimacy. We want uh, to see the fruit of relationship uh, with him poured out in terms of evangelism and reaching our friends and fruitfulness in ministry. Uh, we want to be more resilient Christians. We want to know the truth. Those are all desires that we have. But when we talk about that process of, of getting there, that process of becoming disciples at a deeper level, which might mean commitment to a weekly uh, gathering, commitment to high accountability within an accountability partner, commitment to allowing somebody to speak into your life in a way that might be uncomfortable at some time, uh, or, or you know, just even really, really faithful attendance to church on Sunday mornings. When we think about the high level of commitment that's required of a disciple, we are less keen about engaging in the process. Right? Because it, it actually requires some commitment. It requires covenant. It requires uh, depth. It requires some discomfort to actually be a disciple. And so uh, what, what are those forces in us that resist that process? What is it inside of us that uh, make it, makes it hard for us to say, yeah, yeah, I want to commit to that. Yeah, I want to do that. And we've talked about all kinds of things. We've talked about our high individualism. Uh, we've talked about how distracted we are, like how many other things that we're involved with. It's, it's hard to even carve out enough time for a discipleship process. Hard to carve out time uh, for church. There's anxiety about being a part of something, anxiety about being part of a group. There's a social tension. Like if you more deeply align with Christianity, that puts you more in tension with the other relationships in the world that you have. Uh, there's a sense of exhaustion we feel. And then there's a mistrust that I think is a big part of it. You'll see the last item there is an impulsivism or, or a high reliance on our emotions to make decisions. And we just don't have enough time in this series in terms of Advent coming to actually tackle that one. But uh, we'll, we'll do that one at another time. But this week, we want to just uh, tackle that uh, mistrust of, of authority. We, we mistrust 
anything that would be an influence in our lives, that would initiate change in our lives uh, that isn't us. But discipleship requires input, it requires accountability, it requires information from the Holy Spirit coming into our lives. And we don't always like the package that comes in. We don't like necessarily hearing from other people uh, when, when they're calling us to something better. We, we, and in fact, the idea that word uh, being accountable uh, to people, that, that actually sounds creepy to a lot of us, right? It sounds like, is this a, is this a cult thing? Is this, is this some kind of, uh, got a weird uh, delay echo thing going on here? That's, that's great. Welcome to your first time at church where everything works perfectly. Okay, we're on track. Okay, good. <laughs> um, you know, we, we, where the heck was I? Where, am I? where are we going with this? <laughs> creepy. Yeah, speaking of creepy, weird echo things going on, like, holy smokes. You know, like, like, like there, there have been discipleship movements in the past that, that have actually uh, created space for lots of spiritual abuse and, and lots of, of, of bad things have happened in sort of high accountability, high, you know, church leadership input environments. Uh, we have, in general, um, a, a, a deep mistrust and a growing mistrust of all kinds of things in our society. Um, you know, trust is trending down. Uh, if you look at a study, uh, this is from the uh, U.S. General Social Survey, and again, I'm sorry, it's so much easier to get stats from the U.S. Uh, than Canada. Um, when asked the question, the government can be trusted, in 1964, 77% of people said, yeah, I can basically trust the government. Uh, in 2022, 17%. That's a pretty substantial decline in trust in that area. Clergy, trust in, in clergy and respect for, for people in my profession, 85% um, in uh, eight, 1983, down 21 points to 64%. I'm running into fewer people on the street that uh, would trust me naturally because I carry that professional designation reverend or pastor, right? That trust has gone down. A Gallup poll looking at statistics from 1975 uh, to uh, 2023, just looking at statistics over the years, um, really indicates, uh, you know, trust declining, trust in the military down from, uh, or sorry, 78% to 58%. Trust in the Supreme Court, again, U.S. stats, uh, from 56 to 27%. Banks, 60 to 26%. Public schools, 68 to 26%. We don't trust our educational institutions, right? Uh, newspapers, 39% down to 18%. TV news, 46 to 14%. The Office of the Presidency, 52% down to 23%. The medical system, 80% down to 34%. Uh, scientific community, 70, or sorry, 84% down to 71%. And the business community, 34% down to 14%. We just don't trust anybody like we used to. We don't uh, let these institutions that we interface with all the time 
have our trust. And in many cases, there's really good reasons for that. We're on the other side and hopefully continuing uh, the Me Too movement where, uh, you know, sexual abuse in leadership is, is you know, coming into light. We're on the other side of the residential school scandal here in Canada. We're on the other side of Christian leaders uh, falling and falling into all kinds of trouble from financial uh, misappropriation of funds through to spiritual abuse, uh, through to sexual misconduct in Canada and the U.S. Some really big stories there. There, there has been uh, a, a difficult shift that has taken place in all of these areas and, and in many ways good and healthy that things uh, have come to light. There is repentance required on the part of the church. There's repentance required on the part of church leadership. Uh, so, so this uh, ability to trust in institutions has decreased, but, but also with that, our ability to trust individuals, our ability to have interpersonal trust between people uh, has decreased. And, th and this is actually, I think, quite disturbing. You know, in, if a person is asked, most people can be trusted, that's a question. I'm not sure what survey organization was, was looking at this, but most people can be trusted. In 1958, 58% uh, of people would say, yeah, most, most people can be trusted. But in, uh, in our time, in 2022, 31% of people say most people can be trusted. We just don't trust our friends. We don't trust people we know. We just don't trust our neighbors anymore. Uh, this, is, this is just a really challenging context in which to lead, a, con a challenging context in which to, uh, to do relationship and figure these things out. And if you look at uh, these two people on your screen sort of looking at, uh, at their phones and not relating to one another, I'm going to bash on social media again, as I have been quite frequently lately. Uh, sorry about that. hope you're not getting bored with it. Um, but we have a way in which this stuff that we're looking at constantly, this connection to our devices, um, is actually programming us for mistrust. All right, there's, a, there's a logical fallacy uh, called frequency illusion. And what that is, is it's, a, it's the understanding that uh, the more you see something, the more you believe it's true. The more you see something, the more you believe it's true. And what we see with your phones, your, your devices, these scrolling through Instagram, scrolling through Facebook, scrolling through TikTok, is those algorithms, that software, that hardware, that platform, is designed to show you more and more of the same thing. So if you're flipping through and you pause and you're looking at uh, an idea that has captured your attention, it knows that that idea has captured your attention. It notes that pause. And technology is developing faster and faster. It is able to, though I don't think it's in use really all that much, uh, detect the dilation of your pupils. If you're wearing a smartwatch, it can detect your heart rate. And it can tell, decide what you're interested in and keep feeding you more of what you're interested in or what you paused on or what captured your attention. Uh, in order to simply keep you on the platform longer, uh, to simply put more ads in front of your face. 
And so we get these ideas that are coming at us that are just constantly reinforcing a, a thing that we're interested in. So that idea in you becomes no longer something you're interested in, but something that you, you really gravitate to, to something that, uh, that, that becomes sometimes in many cases a deeply held value. And this device that is doing this in your life does not care about you. It does not have spiritual discernment. It does not have the Holy Spirit. And it is forming us and shaping our values in powerful ways, and we are in dangerous territory. That device is among the most influential things in your life. And I think it's a big mistake. It's a big mistake for me, and it's a big mistake for you. I mean, you could just be scrolling through, scrolling through, and think you're having a good, relaxing time on Instagram, and the next thing you know, you're far right in your politics, and you really, really somehow have an inexplicable need to have a digital wireless meat thermometer. <laughs> or you can be, I got to go to the far left, and my politics are way over there on the lefty side, and suddenly I've gotten rid of all my wool socks, and I'm wearing bamboo. And I don't know how it happened. Right? This stuff is shaping and forming our values and selling us crap. And we have to be careful not to be subject to it. We need people in our lives who are filled with the Holy Spirit, who know Jesus, who know the Scriptures. Not a safe, comforting friend that's just constantly reinforcing everything that we want to believe the frequency of seeing a thing does not make it true we need the word of god we need to allow trusted humans who are filled with the holy spirit deeper in our lives simply to be able to find out the truth about ourselves the truth about god and the truth about the world that we, that we live in we need humans who love Jesus, speaking into us. And the Bible, this is not a new idea. This is not like a social media new idea. This is Proverbs 12. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who counsel. Everything seems right to me. I think I'm a genius, <laughs> right? But I would be wise to listen to counsel. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but he who walks wisely will be delivered. Prepare plans by consultation and make war by wise guidance. Where there's no guidance, the people fall, but in abundance of counselors, there is victory. Listen to counsel and accept discipline. So not just words, but discipline, people with authority in your life to institute change that you may be wise the rest of your days. Take hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Teaching coming into your life from good and trusted sources. Proverbs 15, a scoffer does not love one who reproves him. He will not go to the wise. I, I, I ought to become a person who, who is loving those who reprove me. And if I love those who challenge me, I become wiser. 
those who challenge me under the Holy Spirit. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Like those things hurt. But faithful are the wounds of a friend. And sometimes deceitful can be the kisses of the enemy. If you follow the good feeling, if you follow the kisses and avoid the friend's wounds, we miss something of the truth of God. And so the question is, do you have people in your life? Do I have people in my life who will tell me things about myself that I don't want to hear? Do I have people in my life who know me well enough, who can see into my life, who will tell me the things about myself that, that I actually don't want to hear and it kind of hurts me to hear? And to whom you can tell things or I can tell things about myself that I really don't want to reveal. Right? We need counselors and we need confessors. We need people who are counseling and speaking into our lives. And we need people to come before them and say, hey, I have sinned. There's this bent thing in me. Uh, can you pray for me? We see that in James, James 5, 15 to 16. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Uh, the Bible has a very holistic approach to what health and thriving and human growth is about. Right? Like we, we want friends who will support us when we're sick and bring us soup. We want friends who will uh, care for us, who will pray for us when we're sick, who have an eye on our physical needs. But we don't always necessarily want friends who are going to muck in our sin lives very much, do we? We don't necessarily want those kinds of friends in our lives. But, but the Bible sees those things, that spiritual health and that physical health, as being inextricably connected. If you pray for the sick, then, then maybe uh, the Lord will raise someone up. And if that person has committed sins, they'll be forgiven because that process of praying for the sick, that process of caring for one another, that process of getting into the physical needs we struggle with has to stray deeper into the area of our souls, into the area of our spirits, to see what it is in us that is spiritually broken and begin to heal that. There, there's no point healing the body and not healing the soul. Jesus' teaching, right? Right there, so so there there has to be a deeper engagement in our lives that allows the deep stuff to happen. So who in, in in my life and who in your life can speak beyond the surface, beyond the physical, beyond the day to day, beyond the known needs that you have that are obvious, into the needs of your guts, the needs of your soul. And so that's a prayer point for us. As people, that's a challenge for us, I think, is to create space where people around us who can be trusted can speak into our lives in, in deeper and richer ways. And then there's this question of institutional trust. How do we trust uh, church leaders? How do we trust spiritual authorities? How do we trust spiritual leadership? How does that work? I think, I think you're going to describe uh, how the church functions, in part how our church functions, and in part how I think the church in North America functions. You could describe it as people traveling along 
a parallel journey. In a consumer church, uh, leaders and followers find themselves on parallel roads for as long as it suits for the most time. Right? You might have come to this church. Maybe this is your first Sunday here and you're, and you're coming and you're looking for a church where there's alignment. You're looking for a church that uh, you, you basically agree with the values of it. You basically agree with the directions it's going. You basically agree with the programming that it's offering. And, and you walk along the journey with it, parallel to it, following along. But the moment comes when those values are out of alignment, when that church is calling you to something that makes you uncomfortable, that is calling you to something that, uh, that uh, you don't want to go, or changes its programs, or changes uh, the tone of its preaching, or, or almost anything that's a change that, that we're not comfortable with. And those uh, values, uh, the paths diverge, right? They, they go apart. And we just, have, we just have so many painful stories in our rearview mirror as a church. I have painful stories as a pastor where, uh, you know, in, in many cases where I have failed to lead well, where I haven't heard something that a person needs to hear, I haven't heard or that, some, that they need to speak to the body, I haven't uh, cared for them well, we as leaders haven't had the capacity uh, to love people in the way that they need, there, there, there's limitations, uh, there's personal failings, there's, there's all kinds of things. And, and, and this, what happens in those moments is sometimes people will just drift away, they will uh, allow those paths to diverge in their lives. And then sometimes there are people that, um, that really need us as leaders to speak into their lives and to confront something. To see something going on in a person's family uh, that isn't good, that isn't healthy. And, and I as a pastor and we as leaders have to wrestle with the question, can I address this attitude or can I address this selfish behavior or can I address this sin pattern? And, and, and we as leaders are, are terrified to, we're scared to, because we think addressing those patterns will, will cause that person to leave. And so we are often as leaders wrestling with this strange dynamic where, yeah, you see something that you want, you know will really help a person, something that you can address in their lives. And, you're, and you feel stuck, if, if I don't say anything, this pattern continues and hurt comes to the body, hurt comes to their family, hurt happens in their lives, they're, they're not walking in everything they could with Jesus. But if I address it, uh, they go off on their own and they leave and they go find another place and that hurt is still in there. And, and you, you just sometimes as a leader, you're torn and you just, you just can't win. Yeah, Ian's pastored for a long time. He, he knows what that feels like. So how do we do this thing? How do we sort of come together and, and walk on a path that allows leaders to lead, allows people to follow, and that is just, is just full of, of spiritual health? Leaders growing in health, uh, people uh, growing and following. Uh, there's, this vision is in the scriptures. This vision is, is there even in the Old Testament. In Judges, there's this crying out, oh, that the leaders would lead in Israel, and oh, that the people would willingly offer themselves. 
oh, that the leaders would lead. Like, actually lead. And, and I'm saying, like, full mea culpa. We, in many cases, your church leaders, don't know how to lead. And in many cases, we have not led well. And in many cases, people have not willingly offered themselves. We've been walking on parallel paths. And what we really need is mechanisms to bring us together. Mechanisms of conversation, mechanisms of covenant, uh, mechanisms of communication uh, that really make it possible for us to do life together in a way that inspires growth and that causes us to go forward in our journey together. Hebrews 13 offers this really difficult text. Uh, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who give account. Let me tell you, that terrifies me. How do we, how do, we do that? Uh, this, this, this text is, this is nonsense to our culture. It's absolute nonsense to this, this idea of submitting to your leaders is, is absolutely bonkers. Uh, for us, our dream is the defining uh, ability to set our own course, to walk in independence, uh, to self-define. Uh, anything that increases my personal liberty, that is a good thing. Anything that constrains my personal liberty, that is a bad thing. That's the cultural context we live in, and that's what we often walk out in the church. How do we do it when that's our context? How do we come together in a way where leaders are really understanding what it is to be accountable to God for how they lead and leading at a high level? And the people are growing in trust and can trust those leaders, right? As ones who watch over souls who give an account. Uh, that I want to just unpack this text a little bit more. Anybody, anybody uncomfortable yet? I know I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> right? We want to understand what, what this means. What, what is the author of Hebrews saying here? Obey your leaders. Well, the Greek word there is a Greek is the word pis, and I do terrible way of terrible pronouncing these things. Pithense which is uh, to persuade or to be persuaded of what is trustworthy. So first thing to note about that is there are other words for obedience in the Bible. Uh, Jesus in, Ma- in John chapter 14 says, uh, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And that word is a word for obedience that means I say what I'm going to say and you shall do what I say. Right, that's, that's obedience to Jesus. It is like a fully submitted, Jesus says it, the scripture says it, we don't ask questions, we do it. We obey the Lord. That's not what the scriptures are calling you to do in terms of spiritual authorities in your life. That obey means to be uh, persuaded, to be flexible, to be influenced by, to be allowed to be swayed by. So that's what, what, what the author of Hebrews is saying is, is could we as people have a, a willingness or a propensity to being swayed by the spiritual leadership in our lives? And that word submit is, is not a, quite as soft a word for it. It means to yield 
to withdraw from your seat and allow somebody else to sit in it. It means to get out of the driver's seat a little bit and sit in the passenger seat. And maybe you're giving direction and maybe you're the, the navigator or maybe you have some role in this process, but, but to say, hey, I really trust somebody else to, I'm not going to have full control of myself. I'm going to allow there to be uh, uh, other control in, in my life, to yield, withdraw from your seat. And so I think what he's saying there to, to leaders or saying there to people is saying, hey, could, could you guys as people be people who uh, are not just on locked into your own path, not just completely locked into your own values, not just completely on your own road? Could you be swayed by the leadership in your life? Could you uh, affirm them? Could you uh, trust that the things that they're saying to you could possibly be from the Lord and allow that to shape your journey, allow that to steer the vehicle of your life? I think that's what the scriptures is asking uh, for us as followers. And, and I should say that I'm a follower too. Uh, I have a board that, that is in charge of me, that they can fire me if they want if they feel like I have conducted myself in a bad way or I have misused funds in the church or I have uh, been, been unaccountable or I have failed in my leadership, they can can me. Just so you know, <laughs> we have a mutual submission thing in our leadership community that those people have true and real authority in my life and my denomination has that as well. So I'm hearing this also as a follower. So there is that. What, what am I hearing from the Vineyard Movement? What am I listening to in terms of what they're saying? And am I listening respectfully? And am I letting my denomination shape my journey in a healthy way? Sometimes yes and sometimes no. And then for leaders, and this is actually much heavier, um, as those who will have to give an account I mean, this is all over the scriptures, the responsibility of leaders to God and leaders to the people. Uh, right from Jesus' teaching, Matthew 23, 11, the greatest must be the servant of all. There's this identity in leadership of servants, right? We must be servants. 2 Corinthians 1, 24, not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy to stand firm in your faith. So we, we're working for your joy, not for our joy. And we are not lording it over you. Uh, you know, the teaching in, uh, in, in Jesus saying, don't let anyone call you master. Don't let anyone call you rabbi. I, I'm, I'm, I know it's a part of some of you, some of your tradition, uh, and, I, and I don't always address it to, to call me Pastor Aaron. I, I, I actually don't want you to do that. I, I don't want that title. I don't want that honorific. Because I think Jesus commands me not to, to carry it. Not to carry a, something that, that by my title places me in, in some way over you. Now, now, I think there is true spiritual authority and I have some role. That's why the responsibility is so high. But I don't want it lorded over. I don't want it identified. I don't want to wear it as a hat. I don't want to wear a pastor hat. <laughs> Because I think that there's, there's something that, that is, is really important there in terms of us working with you for your joy. Not working over you or working you over for your joy. 
right? So, so there has to be a, a humility in the way we carry ourselves. And, and the Bible is not naive about leadership going wrong, right? Uh, Paul's talking to leaders in Acts 20, and this is John Piper bringing some of these things. Um, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw us disciples away after them. So here's Paul talking to a community of elders and say, watch out among yourselves. Watch out for elders among you because elders can arise among you that will draw you away. Elders can arise among you that are false. Elders can arise among you uh, that, are, that are liars. So you are held to high account among one another. Uh, 1 Timothy 5.19, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. So the Bible sees that there are elders that go wrong, and there's process and procedures for taking elders out, for elders disciplining one another. Uh, Titus 1. Uh, this is why I left you in Crete, that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, uh, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Who would, who's ready for a rebuke? <laughs> who's ready to take on the responsibility of offering a rebuke? This is very uncomfortable. Who's uncomfortable right now? Who wants to be an elder right now? <laughs> right? This is not necessarily a fun job. This is not a committee of, of opinion givers to help uh, shape the programming of the ministry. Right? This is something more. Acts 20, 20. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he has ordained, obtained with his own blood. To care for the church of God. Hey, this is, I'm not guilty of tripping you, says Paul, but just by the way, this church that you're leading, Jesus obtained it by his blood. That sounds a little bit like Paul's hitting me with a bit of a guilt trip. <laughs> He's hitting me with the seriousness of this thing. Like, this is a precious treasure that I died for. How could you not lead it with seriousness and care? How could you not carry the weight of that? Care for the church of God. Matthew eighteen six. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble... It would be better for him to have a millstone tied around his neck and have him thrown into the sea. Leadership is terrifying, and it should be. 
So the question for us, how do we do this thing? How do we come together as leaders who are ever more taking our calling seriously? How do we develop leaders? How do we find them? How do we find out who the Holy Spirit is calling? How do we empower them? How do we train them? How do we increase our capacity as leaders and become responsible in a way that the people can come and submit and obey? And I think only a church that figures that out can really become what God wants it to become. And I think this is one of our most important projects as a body. To learn to elder well. And to have a body that follows well. And if we have that, and I think with these things working well together, these things coming together, that's the sweet spot where the kingdom of God grows and thrives. So let these leaders, our broken leaders, myself, uh, do this with joy and not with groaning. I, I want for our leaders not to groan about, oh man, if I talk to this person about this thing, they're going to leave and we have to face another loss again. That's the groaning. I feel that so deeply. That, that, that fear of speaking into a life for fear of losing that person, just having them walk away. But I need to feel the groaning of, oh Lord, this precious child. I cannot lead this precious person that you bought with your own blood astray. Lord, let it never be said that I've led in such a way that it would be better for me to have a millstone tied around my neck and have me thrown into the sea. That's the groaning I need to carry. And that's the groaning our leaders need to carry. Oh, that the leaders would lead in Israel and the people would willingly offer themselves. And I think we have to figure this out. I have to do discipleship at any kind of a deep level that we would be fulfilling this incredible vision that Paul has for the church. You remember the picture that he's painting uh, of a church that is like a tree uh, planted by the water, a place that is stable, a place that is deeply rooted, a place that is strong, that, that withstands the winds of culture, that offers a place of sanctuary and a safe haven of spiritual health, a safe haven of care and of love and discipline because in the world all around us where there is no discipline, where there is no accountability, where there is no relationship, uh, where there is no growth, where, where entropy is happening everywhere, that culture is full of wreckage and people are desperate for a safe place to be. They're desperate for a community that's whole. They're desperate for a body that is firm, that is strong, that is solid. And that is safe. And our journey to that safety means eldering better. And our journey to that safety means trusting better.
There's this beautiful text uh, as Paul's beginning to speak about marriage in Ephesians chapter 5, 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And this um, teaching that, that is all through the scripture that's woven throughout it is, is really coming out of the, God's model for family. How many of you have been in a minivan with your kids? I've been in a minivan with my kids. And you know you're on a journey, you know that you're going uh, on a trip, and there's that moment comes, you're on the Trans-Canada Highway, and that you know you got to stop for lunch, and you ask that question, so where do we want to stop for lunch, guys? <laughs> what are the kids going to say every time? Let's go to McDonald's. Right? And we need families to just be like our spiritual family. You need parents who are going to say, no, guys, we, we can't go to McDonald's. We've got to go somewhere where Mama Bear can get a salad. And Papa Bear, he really needs a salad, too. Right? We need those decisions to be not made by, by committee all the time, not made by uh, the, the desire of, uh, that we would have for, you know, a greasy burger and fries. We need someone in the car who is calling us to a healthy choice from time to time. And we need parents who, you know, desire to love their kids and desire their health and desire them to thrive, uh, desire goodness for them, who want them to have a little treat and have some fries when they need it and have a milkshake that's fun from time to time, good and healthy ways, nutrition coming at you. You know, like, like parents need to balance all of those kinds of things together. But parents are also accountable to the Lord. And that guy behind the wheel is accountable to the rules of the road, keeping the van safe on it. We need to just learn to do family well. Learn to be led well. Learn to follow well. And allow God to take us on the journey to the place where we need to go. Amber's going to come up. And the team's going to come up and just lead us in a song. And we're going to sing a song called I Surrender. And, and this is not a song that you can sing to a human, just so you know. Uh, this, is, this is a song of surrender to Jesus. But it's out of that surrender to Jesus that we are also submitted to one another. Right? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Please pray for us as a church as we figure this out. Please pray for us as we try to grow our capacity. Uh, please pray for us as we, you know, adjust our leadership structure and, and work through, you know, all of the things that we need to work through. But we want to become a church that is whole. But it absolutely starts with us being a church that is submitted to Jesus. And if you're submitted to Jesus, you can submit to his voice speaking to you through a brother or a sister. So, just to summarize the two pieces of counsel here. One, you need to have people in your life who can speak into it, who can counsel you, who can give you the wounds of a friend. We need to develop those relationships. You need coffee with friends. Uh, you need time spent with people that you can let them in deeper than you've let them in before. And, and two, we need to grow as a church. We need to grow our eldership capacity. We need to grow as leaders. And we need to have permission from the people to lead more and more in a healthy way as we do. And if we work that journey out, I think, I think there's nothing stopping us. We can have a tremendous impact. So here's your lyrics. 
Here I am down on my knees again, surrendering all. Find me, Lord, as you draw me near. I'm desperate for you. So let's come to him with that desperation to be a surrendered people, surrendered to Jesus, surrendered to his word, and all the rest will follow. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Community Church, visit ovchurch.ca. Thank you.